Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark 13, 24 through 37. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, Good Shepherd. Welcome once again. My name is Michael Redzina, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to introduce to you this morning our guest preacher, Tyler Schwartz. Tyler lives here in New York with his wife, Jess, and their beautiful children, Talia and Walker. Uh, they've been a part of this community from its inception, and so it really is an honor to have Tyler uh, be able to share the sermon this morning. Tyler is the founder of Chess at Three, which focuses on early childhood chess. Uh, they developed a story curriculum that is in preschools all around the world. And just recently, they had a product that was nominated for Toy of the Year called Storytime Chess. Uh, Tyler is a man of many trades, uh, interests, and hobbies. Uh, he most recently has been into drone photography, which uh, you'll see some of that in today's service. But also, it's important to know that he is a close-up magician, and so uh, be sure to be on the lookout for anything that you'd see in this sermon. Uh, so now, give a warm ear to Tyler Schwartz. Good morning, Good Shepherd. Thanks for having me today. My name is Tyler Schwartz. I'm very, very happy to be here on the first week of Advent, the week of hope. Um, today, we have a sorrowful, apocalyptic, prophecy. Uh, and so we have a lot to do. We have a lot of work to do and not very much time. So if you don't mind, I'd love to get right into it. 
Um, I did a Facebook post asking my friends in preparation for today's talk, if you could go back in time and hang out with Jesus on a normal, typical day, what do you think his demeanor or his mood would be like? And a lot of people responded. The most popular answer was, Jesus is chill, man. He's relaxed. He's, he'll go with the flow. Two people even went so far as to compare Jesus to the dude from Big Lebowski. Uh, I promised everyone in this post that I would respond with nothing but thank you. That was very helpful. So to all the people who say they see Jesus as chill, thank you. That was really helpful. Our very own pastor, Michael Rodzina, he decided to uh, comment too. His comment was, uh, this is a total Rorschach question. And I said, uh, it may be, but I see you spending a lot of time debating people online. Could you just spend a minute or two uh, in answering my Jesus poll? And he said, fine, I like my Jesus happy. Thanks, Michael, that was really helpful. Thanks a lot, I appreciate it. I have a lot of hobbies. And one of my favorite hobbies is I'm the head Tyler Schwartz encourager. That means I'm friends with as many Tyler Schwartzes as I can on Facebook. And I periodically send them posts encouraging them and challenging them to be the best Tyler Schwartzes they can be. And guess what? A Tyler Schwartz stopped by to comment on my Jesus survey. What kind of mood do you think Jesus is in Tyler Schwartz? And this Tyler Schwartz said, he ain't got a mood because he never existed. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler Schwartz. That was really helpful. Thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Um, the reason I did this survey is because I think people have a very different picture in their head of what Jesus is like in 2020 than people did in 20. And I think part of the reason that there's such a difference is passages like the beginning of Mark 13. Now, our scripture is the last part of Mark 13, but what I'd like to do now is tell and explore what happens leading up to our scripture so that we can better answer the question, Jesus, what are you talking about? At the beginning of Mark 13, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple. And one of his disciples comments on how big the stones are for this temple. Wow, look at the size of these stones. To which Jesus replies, not one stone will be left on the other. All will be cast down. Now, there are two times in Jesus' life when he says something like this. One is at the beginning of Mark 13. The other is in John 2. In John 2, Jesus is in the temple, and he says, if someone destroys this temple, I can rebuild it in three days. That verse also mentions that Jesus was speaking about his body, not the temple. Now, here's what I think is happening, is people hear the words destroy and temple in the same sentence, and it made them really angry. And they did kind of a, of a reverse Mad Lib, and they said, when they got home to their house that night, I was in the temple and I heard Jesus saying that he was gonna destroy it and rebuild it in three days. The reason I think this is because that's what happens in Mark 14. Someone is giving false testimony against Jesus saying, I heard you say in the temple that you were gonna destroy it and rebuild it in three days. 
The other instance of this happening is Matthew 27. Jesus is on the cross and someone walks by and the scripture says they shake their head and look at Jesus and said, you. You who said you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. So I think if I had a clipboard, a survey, and a time machine, and I went back to Jesus' time and asked them, what do you think about Jesus? The first thing they would say would be, can I have that clipboard? <laughs> um, the second thing they would say would be, that's the guy who said he would destroy the temple. We need to figure out how to murder this guy, which is exactly what happens in Mark 14. Uh, the powers of that time are trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. So after Jesus says, back to Mark 13, not one stone will be left on the other. Later that day, four disciples approach Jesus and ask him. They say, Jesus, um, do you remember when we were in the, uh, leaving the temple earlier today and you said that thing? Um, is there like a timeline that you have on that? Uh, is this like a week project, a, 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 maybe a quarterly goal? One-year goal, three-year goal, your thoughts? Also, uh, if you could give us uh, any signs that would show us uh, when these things are happening, that would be really, really helpful. The rest of Mark 13 is Jesus answering that question. When are these things gonna happen and can you please give us some signs? Okay, let's get into some of uh, uh, the specifics on Mark 13. Actually, before we do, I'd love to just tell you what I think Jesus is doing in this verse. Uh, me, unfortunately, much smarter people. Um, one of those being Ched Myers, who uh, wrote a great book called Say It to the Mountain um, that has uh, the same theory in it, is Jesus in this verse, in this uh, prophecy, is talking about his death and resurrection. It is not talking about some second coming after his death and resurrection. It is warning his disciples that stuff is about to get really, really hard and bad and you need to be ready for it. He's preparing his friends for the most important event in human history. And he's pulling out all the stops. He has uh, analogies, he has parables, stories, direct uh, charges to his disciples. He's doing anything he can to prepare them for what is coming up. The first thing that Jesus says is, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give off its light. I believe Jesus is talking about the moment when he is on the cross and the scripture says, at around three o'clock, there was a great darkness over the land. He is alluding to that moment. And then there are two parables, the parable of the fig tree and the parable of the master leaving the servants in charge. These feel very, very similar to the scene of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Mark 14, immediately following. The commands that Jesus gives his disciples are very similar to the master leaving. The master goes away, you do not want, know when he's gonna come back, so stay ready, be alert. You do not want to be sleeping when the master comes back. When Jesus is in the garden, of the name that I can't pronounce right now, he tells his disciples, I'm going over here to pray, I'm sad, even saddened to death, please stay awake and he comes back three times to find them sleeping. I believe Jesus is preparing his friends for what is about to happen here. What about when Jesus says, people will see the Son of Man coming in uh, clouds with great power and glory? 
What I believe is Jesus is connecting the physical reality of what he's going through with the spiritual glory that he will come into after it's done. They're not two separate things. To Jesus, they're the same moment. So that's what I think this verse is. That's what I think Jesus is trying to do, is trying to prepare his disciples and give them little hints. Notice in the, the, the master going away. You don't, you don't know when the master is going to come back. It could be midnight, it could be when the crow calls, or it could be morning. Also, in Mark 14 is when Jesus predicts Peter's denial three times before the rooster crows. I think he's dropping clues to what is about to happen. So it says sorrowful, apocalyptic rant, and this is the week of hope. This doesn't feel very hope-y or hopeful if I wanted to use the English language correctly. Where's the hope in this? I, I do have a hopeful message for this verse, but before I give you the good news, I'm afraid the news needs to get a bit worse. Let's go back to the beginning of Mark 13, when the disciples are leaving and one says, wow, look at the size of that rock. If, if I, I couldn't move that rock, Jesus says, not one stone will be left standing on the other. I believe here, Jesus is lamenting an aspect of the Jewish temple. And I have that thing in common with the temple that Jesus is lamenting. So do you. My shirt has that thing in common with the Jewish temple. That half gallon of 2% milk in my refrigerator has that thing in common with the temple. What's that thing in common? That we all have expiration dates. There's something, something coming for all of us that eventually will destroy us. And none of us, especially the milk jug, can do anything to escape it. God, this would make the worst TED talk. Ugh. And so, when the moment before Jesus dies, he utters the phrase, it is finished. What is finished? God's gift to humanity, the gospel, entrance to the kingdom of God. He is giving humans something to worship that does not have an expiration date. It will be the same forever. It's one of my favorite things about the gospel is nothing about my relationship with God and Jesus is contingent on anything on this earth. Christianity doesn't have a pope. We're not dependent on a person. Christianity doesn't have a Mecca. We're not dependent on a place. So that's what I think my message of hope is today, is that to truly understand the bad news of the human helplessness of our condition, that is where we find how beautiful the gospel is. Because Jesus knows that the human heart will not be satisfied to worship anything with an expiration date. And so we find ourselves in a really different place than Jesus' disciples that he is calling to here. He's telling them to watch but I think he's telling us to worship because we're on the other side of history. So to close today, I'd like to tell you about a couple ways that I worship God and not to that you would imitate me, but that we would all be inspired 
to worship God more with our lives. It's literally why we're here. It's our only job. Of course, I have some very important ways that I worship God. Uh, I'm trying to be a good husband and make my wife laugh is one of the most important. Uh, trying to raise my two kids into people that I like is another one. Trying my hardest in my job to build a world for children where they can say, ah, of course, learning is fun. And while those are my most important ways of worshiping God, it's not the time when I feel the closest communion to God, when I feel um, my relationship with him is the most intimate. The closest communion and worship I have to God, I experience while I'm eating sushi by myself. When I'm eating really good sushi by myself, I become overwhelmed with the experience. And I often have to put my head in my hands and stop and just worship God. I look down and I say, God, thank you for inventing fish. Thank you for Japanese culture. Thank you for this man and all the skill and determination you've given him to make this food for me. Thank you for giving me a little money that I can give to him in trade for the sushi that I so desire. And thank you for making me alive that I can experience this moment of closeness in communion with you. When I eat sushi by myself, God says to me, I got you. And I say back to him, I know, I got you too. Let's not worship things with expiration dates. I'm done. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.